on June 24th, four acclaimed directors, George Miller, John Landis, Joe Dante, and Steven Spielberg, take you to another dimension. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I am your host, Scott White, and I have a returning guest, uh, another Scott, Mr. Scott Sabo. Hello. And we are talking about the 1983 anthology movie, Twilight Zone, the movie. Dun, dun, dun. You were talking about how you went back you to do this. You went back and watched some of the original TV show. Yeah. Were you a fan or are you a fan of the original TV show? Yeah, the original ones. So I, you know, I watched them with my parents uh, all the time. The good old black and white ones on. I think I don't remember if it was Channel Twenty or Channel Fifty here in Detroit. Yeah, those are our U- those were our UHF stations <laughs> exactly. here and went growing up here in in Michigan. So I had to get up and go change the channel manually. And uh, going through those, I mean, I, I really enjoyed watching them. I didn't really get into the depth of them, but I liked the story of them. But you know. Some of them, for the most part. Some of them were just a little bit weird. Uh, but, you know, then when you go back and think about them and rewatch them, you're like, oh, that's actually some pretty cool subject matter. I mean, really good things to make you think. Back then, I wasn't too much into thinking. No, yes, we're watching these <laughs> as kids. Exactly. The- now, they did a reboot in 85. Uh, Jordan Peele did it again just yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. I don't remember any of those. Uh, yeah, I wasn't. Those Those were a little bit... I didn't think those were as good as the originals I and mean, the originals were i thought were you know it's really something good. about seeing it in black and white too yeah i think yeah lends to it yeah for sure yeah because you don't have you know and there was no cgi none of that i mean the episodes we'll talk about if you go back and watch the original ones they're pretty plain jane except for a little bit of claymation mm. um that's about it you know so yeah that, that's they were good though so uh movie 1983 we have the prologue where we so we get Dan right off the bat, Dan and Albert Brooks. Yeah. Now, were you an Albert Brooks fan? A little bit, yeah, yeah. He was, and it's interesting going back and looking through how all these are tied together. But yeah, Albert Brooks, he's very interesting. Like watching some of the older stuff too, because then when I started going back through and like reading about it, I'm like, oh, I forgot about this and I forgot about that. So thank you. Because he <laughs> was on the first season of Saturday Night Live. Yeah. He did move. He did little films. For yeah. Him. Yeah. And I guess the original thought was that he was going to be the full-time host okay because i guess he had a little more cachet than everybody else he was sort of a name okay and he was going to be the host every week like saturday night live with albert brooks and he said no and he was the one who actually talked lauren michaels into having a rotating host oh okay so he actually talked himself out of a job nice and i respect people like that because he knew what was better for the show yeah, that, and that, that lends itself to having some vision, too. You know, instead of being fairly shallow, he's got some pretty good vision at that point if you're, you know, if you're suggesting and pushing that. And SNL did pretty dang well. Yeah. Until recently. <laughs> <laughs> Dan is a hitchhiker. Albert p- picks him up. And then they start talking about old Twilight Zones. And they start, you know, you know theme songs. That's how they get into it. They start, yeah. you know, doing these theme songs. and. Yeah. They get in the Twilight Zone, and, and then what is it? It was um, uh, 
uh, beyond what was it? Like, that he they would get him confused with another one. Was that? Yeah, a, I think it was. Um, was it outer limits? Outer limits. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. He goes, no, that was an outer limits. He goes, no, yeah. that was his own. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know these guys, and so this is directed by four different directors uh-huh. we'll talk about. And this was directed by John Landis. Oh, right. So I'm just guessing, because this is just a couple of years removed from the Blues Brothers, I'm thinking he called Dan up. It's like, you know, I got... I'm Because this is in uh, Dan's wheelhouse. He right. loves aliens and, and weird shit like this, so I'm sure he would just, he'd just love to be in this movie. Later we'll talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> But according to what I have read, this was the only part of the movie that was filmed before the accident. The accident, yes. Okay. So it's just weird. Let's like this was like it was literally a prologue to not the movie and the accident. It's uh, do you want to see? This is where the do you want to see something really scary? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Did you ever watch the Twilight Zone? Oh, God. Remember the Twilight Zone with Burgess Meredith? Remember? He he, he loved to read, and there was a nuclear war, and he had no friends anyway, and he was oh, down in the base of the library. Yes! He was the last man he broke his glasses. Yeah. This thing freaked me out. When I was seven years old, I bought another pair of glasses just in case that would happen. Oh, those shows. They, they were so good. They were yeah. so scary. Yeah. Oh, great. They were great. Remember the one where the guy had the stopwatch? Somebody in a bar gave him a stopwatch, and he was this real obnoxious guy. And he took the stopwatch, and he hit it, and everybody else in time froze but him. That's an Outer Limits. No, that was a zone. That's an Outer Limits. That was a zone. Oh, they had one about the mannequins that got two weeks off and turned into humans, and they were allowed to go out and shop for two weeks on their own. And then this one came back, and it was over two weeks, and the other mannequins went, come over here for a minute, and turned her into plastic. Boy, they were they were scary. They were great. I loved it. Hey, you, you want to see something really scary? You bet. Really? Yeah. Okay, this is this is really, really scary now. I trust you. Okay, pull the car over. Pull the car over? You want to see it? Well, show me while I'm driving. No, I can't. I can't tell you about it. It's only take a couple of seconds. All right, two seconds, okay? Okay. What is it? Just pull it over. Okay. I'll show you. All right. Are you ready? Okay, go ahead. What are you doing? It it was good. I I mean, I I remember, like, I I guess we'll talk about all the things, but I remember seeing this when it first came out. I remember seeing it. I saw it at a theater in Brighton with my aunt and uncle and my cousin. And, uh, you know, sitting down, not, I was like, oh, it's the Twilight Zone. It's going to be just like, you know, <laughs> like I remember from a kid. And the beginning was kind of cool, you know, that, that whole opening scene. And uh, was, I was like, oh, this is really sweet. And then we could talk about the rest of the episodes <laughs> after that. But, uh, yeah, the, the beginning was definitely But you're not cool. expecting it to comedy guys. Yeah, you're not yeah. expecting it. It turns out that Dan is a monster. He just... Albert Brooks pulls over and Dan just changes into this monster and you just... <laughs> Yeah. You see the you see the vehicle shaking and then we go and we get the voiceover Burgess Meredith. And he was all over the original Twilight Zone. Yeah. You know, if you go back and look at what he did, he did quite a few episodes. So. He was in one of the most famous ones about the last, you know, all the time in the world to read and he breaks his glasses. Yeah. 
Yeah, one of the most famous of all the episodes. I always thought that was actually probably one of my favorites ever. I thought that was a really good one. So. Which is why I'm surprised they didn't do it in this one. If they could have been a good one to have. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, the the put those guys at the beginning. You know, it's kind of funny. You know, Dan Aykroyd's big thing is turning off the lights right when they're driving. Oh, no, well, no, that was Albert Brooks. Yeah, Albert Brooks, Brooks was driving. Albert Brooks turns the lights off, and I remember doing that as a kid a lot. You know, doing that type of thing, like, "Ooh, look how dark it is mm-hmm. on the freeway." But you know, he does that, and you know, and he's all freaked out. You know, Dan Aykroyd's like, "Whoa, this is really dangerous." You know, <laughs> what what would happen? You know, and they're kind of making a big deal out of it, but it pales in comparison. It, to, they they set it up like Albert Brooks is the the antagonist. I the would say. the antagonist, yeah, yeah, I would yeah, say. Yeah. But then it. Uh, quickly changes so for anybody that's not seen it uh, definitely worth watching so pretty cool though it's it, yeah it's a very good opening to the movie yeah uh then we go into our first one which is yeah the first one is uh time out time out yeah and it stars uh vic morrow mm-hmm. i guess he was m- most famous for the tv show combat that was on in the 60s yep. this one uh, could not be filmed today yeah <laughs> Which is a shame because what they would try to do today is water it down. Yeah. Water yeah. down the racism. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what you don't want to do in right. this. You want to you want to show it in its full form. Yeah. And uh, Vic Morrow, he he's at a bar with some friends, and he is just he mad, ha- mad, he's mad. mad. He's mad at Jews. <laughs> he's mad at blacks. He's mad at women. He's just. Now I will say it's a bit of an of a caricature. If, if, if racism was a person, it would be Vic Morrow in yeah, this movie. Yeah. So, and he's the angry white guy in the whole right. thing, which is very interesting, you know. But but I think I mean I, I think if they were to do this segment again, I think it you know it's a very good period piece, no matter what you're looking at, because there's a lot of he uses a lot of very slang derogatory terms. Mm. But I think in in the the the, the point of the episode as we'll talk about you know i think it would actually be a really good lesson for people today to to watch that i i 100 agree but i also agree that people would just hop hop on lose hop on it for the wrong reason he's blatantly saying the n-word where there are black people in this but it's like he doesn't care he thinks this is in the this is in the 80s but i still think he thinks it's like in the fifties and sixties, where yeah. you could use that word in yeah. front of people, and it wouldn't matter, and no, and and it wouldn't, nobody would think anything of it. Yeah, well, I mean, he starts off complaining about losing his. He didn't get a promotion, and he and he complains about not getting the promotion because he lost it to a Jew, and he's being very derogatory about it, and mm. he's being very vocal in this yeah. small bar, and you know, you, you see a few heads turn here mm. and there, and. And his friends are kind of like, well, that guy, you know, referring to the other guy. Got the he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah he's he not a bad hard. guy. He works hard. He works hard, too, you yeah. know, and blah, blah, blah. And then it just seems like, you know, Morrow gets, like, madder and madder. And, and then he starts, what about everybody else? What about the, the Asians taking all our jobs? And he, he He's getting madder that they aren't agreeing with him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Then he starts talking, you know, I mean, like I said, he drops the M-bomb quite a bit. And it just happens that there's a table full of uh, you know a table full of black guys sitting over there just uh, hanging out doing you know having a drink doing their thing. And I I really like how the black guys don't get up and start a fight. Right. They're very. It's like hey, could you tell excuse your me. excuse me? Could you yes. tell your friend to keep it down? Yeah. It's like they don't want to cause a problem, but they're very calm and cool until yeah. he finally blows up and. 
he does it over and over. He just keeps going and going, even with a few warnings and stuff. And uh, I think at that at that point he gets up to does he go, get up to go outside? Right? Is, yeah, is he, he, yeah, he eats a breath of air. Yeah, yeah. So. They're like, calm down, calm down. And he's gonna go outside and get some fresh air or yeah. something like that. And boy, does he ever! He walks outside, and it is Germany. Yeah, it's like Nazi World Germany. War II Germany. Yeah, yeah, he killed. Uh, yeah, Nazi occupied France, as a matter of fact, yeah. during World War II. Yeah, and uh, I think the first he walks outside, and he's kind of confused. He doesn't really notice at first. But then I think he notices... He notices, and then he turns around, and the door is gone. He can't go back in. It's like a, it's a boarded-up yeah. building. Yeah. yeah. And then he runs into the, the, the Nazi officers come over and start uh, interrogating him. So, which is a very interesting, because he has this befuddled look on his face. Right, and they think he is a Jew. But they're talking to him in German. They he are. Doesn't, he, he doesn't, doesn't understand, <laughs> yeah. I like that too. I, I I'm glad they didn't go Hogan's Heroes. Like exactly. Yeah. Do you I do? It's yeah. Like, oh, I'm yeah. I'm yeah, so glad exactly. they didn't do the Hogan's Heroes. Right. <laughs> Here, let me let me speak the common language that most people in the world will know. Yes. To accommodate you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And then he runs away. Yeah, he runs and he ends up up in somebody's house. He goes like he runs away. He gets away. They're shooting at him. I think he gets shot at that point. He or does. Get shot yes. At some point, he goes up into the apartment, sees the lady, goes in the apartment. She's staring at him. He's trying to communicate with her. I don't think she speaks English either. And then she ends up opening up the window and yelling out to the to mm-hmm. the, the German soldiers who are outside. Mm-hmm. Whatever it was, she yelled. They come running. Yeah. <laughs> he jumps outside <laughs> on the window ledge. Right. Because that's a great place to go. <laughs> but I guess you got no choice. And they storm in the apartment. They're trying to get him. Right? They're reaching around to get him, but they can't. But then I think all the rest of the Germans are waiting outside right. on the ground. And that's where it becomes very interesting for him. He falls off the ledge. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they he fall, As he falls off the ledge, yeah, he ends up there shooting at him. Yeah. Having playing games with him, shooting by That's right. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're shooting around him on the ledge. messing with him. Yeah. And when he ends up falling, yeah, he falls. You see him fall down. And when, when he looks up, he's, I think he's laying in the grass in the meadow. And, uh, and this is the shock of his life, probably. So. Yes. Because these two, uh, two people looking down at him, one, John Laroquette. The next clip contains inappropriate and unacceptable language. However, I do feel that language needs to be kept in the clip so we can get the full gravity of the situation that our character is in. So if you feel this is something that might offend you, please skip ahead two minutes into the podcast. We got you now. This nigga's got a gold watch. You stole this, didn't you, boy? Where am I? Look, I didn't do anything wrong. What are you doing to me? Hang the coon, son of a bitch. Are you crazy? 
You're insane. You're all crazy. Okay, look out. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. What are you doing to me? Shut up, nigga. I'm a white man. What the hell's the matter with you? I'm white. It's uh, a little dicey at that point because he's basically at a clan rally. Yeah, yeah. And they're uh, getting ready to, uh, I think they're getting ready to lynch him at that point. Exactly. So it's, a, you know, it's this out of, not out of mind, but out of body experience that he's having at this point of, uh, you know, he's his, he's him, but he sees himself as white, like you said. Right. But he is, uh, you know, they say him as a black man, so. He runs away. Again, I mean, this segment is repetitious, but I think it's supposed to be repetitious. Yeah. He drive, he dives into a lake or whatever, and now he comes up. Now he's in Vietnam. Yes, it's he's in like the he's in the the you know the edge of a river, so kind of coming up where he was at, and he's in the reeds, and he's kind of stuck there, and uh, it's pitch black outside, and I think what happens next then is that then there's a patrol, right? Uh, uh, right, and he and they're Americans. So he's like, hey, I'm an American. And they see him as a Viet Cong, you know, uh, an enemy soldier. Yeah. And, um, and they open fire on him. They open fire on him. <laughs> and he's like, wait, wait, now, wait. I guess this was the scene. There was a scene in there where he was supposed to rescue a couple of Vietnamese children. Right. There was an accident on set and he and the two Vietnamese children were decapitated. Yeah. Uh, while, while filming this scene. So the scene is not in the movie. Uh, you can you can find pictures of it on on YouTube, uh, but that scene was not in the movie. Yeah, the pyrotechnics went off, I think, and they were trying to keep the budget really low. Mm. They had the helicopter too close. The pyrotechnics went off, blew the back of the helicopter off. Helicopter lost control, came down, and those three died. Mm-hmm. So. And that ended up in years and years and years of litigation. I remember it did. Yeah. When this comes out, I, I've done another podcast. I, it's on. Uh, I I reviewed a book uh, like the Mad Men of the '80s, uh, where I talk, where it's all the Saturday Night Live people who went on to do movies, and John Landis directed Eddie Murphy on Coming to America, oh. and evidently they did not get along. And like, like Eddie Murphy brought this up oh. to John Landis's face. It's oh like my. wow, yeah. That always makes for a good time on, on uh, set. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody throws a grenade at him. Grenade blows up. He gets catapulted through the air. Yep. Yeah. Lands back in Germany. Yep. They put him on a train to go to the concentration camps. Yep. With all the rest of the Jewish prisoners. Right. Yeah, yeah. He's looking, looking through the slats of the train. He sees the bar where, you know, he sees his friends come out of the bar and he's yelling at them, and they don't recognize him, and they don't see him. That's the end of that. That's the end of that. So, yeah, I, th- I mean, I found that, like I said, I found that to be a really interesting segment because I think it'd be a really good, you know, kind of put yourself in somebody else's shoes, exactly type of situation. So, our next one is "Kick the Can," mm-hmm. and this is directed by Steven Spielberg, and it has a. Uh, Scatman Crothers. Yep. I, I love Scatman. It's yeah. yeah, he's just 
he's one of those guys. He does. He was he was good in everything he did. He, I, I, I always remember him as Hong Kong Fooey. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Hong Kong Book of Kung Fu. Exactly. Yeah, Hong Kong Fooey, number one super guy. Was yeah, how the song went. Every now and then, I find myself singing that. But uh, this, I thought this this segment I thought was really endearing. I mean, with, without tearing up and sounding mushy, I thought this was a really good one. I like the fact that it was not grim. There's no offense in there whatsoever. Yes, it's not. It's just about, you know, being young, staying young. Scatman Carruthers comes to this old folks home. It's just depressing. Yeah. And he gets he gets all the residents to play a game of kick the can. Yeah. Except for the one guy, remember? There's the, oh, the, the one guy. So. Yes. So Scatman Carruthers comes and he starts. It's like, hey, you know, you may be old, but you're not dead. And, yeah. And this one old guy, you know, he's just the, ah, you know. Leo Conroy, he's yeah. the, uh, the proverbial stick in the mud. Right. He uh, just, he wants nothing to do with being, doing anything. I mean, everybody there seems to be, you know, they're all playing, they're, they're all in their age at that point. I think they're probably in their late 80s or late 70s, early 80s. Right. You know, and everybody, I mean, they're, they're elderly at that point. And, uh, you know, like you were saying, uh, you know. Scatman comes in and, you know, his name is Mr. Bloom. And he comes in, which I found Mr. Bloom to be an interesting name because it's kind of like, you know, something in Bloom is fresh and exciting. And he comes in and he wants to get them to, you know, they're all talking about the old times and everything. I used to love doing this and I used to love doing that. And he says, well, why don't we do it? Let's Mm -hmm. keep doing it. And and this uh, Mr. Conroy you know, he's the old stick in the mud. And he says, ah, nobody, they shouldn't be doing those things because... You know they're they're old and they're they're fragile mm-hmm. and you know they should just sit here and watch TV and knit. I mean, essentially <laughs> that's what he says. And uh, and so you know everybody kind of resolves to that, but uh, that's not what Mister Bloom want, has in has in mind. So everybody goes to bed and uh, he goes around and gets everybody up and he's like, "Well, let's go play a game of kick the can." Yeah. I just love playing kick the can. Mm-hmm. And everybody goes but the crotchety old man. Yeah, he stays sleeping. But during that period, you know, during the period of the game of kick the can, everybody transforms from being old, old and elderly to, to themselves. Yeah. You know, as kids. Right. And it's different ages of kids. It's like yeah. uh, the one, um, you know, the, uh, the, the romantic... He he only goes down to being like a a, a teenager. Yeah, and then yeah. the other ones go down to be like six or seven. Oh, so uh, so uh, uh, Selma Diamond is in this. Who? So that's two Night Court oh, actors yeah. in this movie. Oh yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's why I didn't recognize her at first. But yeah, mm. yeah. So they. They play the game and they play kick the can and they're all running around and just being, you know, their cute little selves. I think I I think that they went back to their favorite point in their lives. You know what? That's probably a good point. Yeah. That's probably what happened. Yeah. yeah. Because the one guy is really dashing the one you were talking about. Right. Trying to remember what his name was in here, but he's the one that is uh, you know, very dashing and uh, you know, he reminds me of uh I can't think of like Anyway, he he's very dashing and then uh, you know running around playing with a sword and a cape, and mm-hmm. so he's kind of the hero person. 
And some of the girls, you know, the, the women that are in there turn into little girls and, you know, they're, they're a little bit more of the motherly type of dolls. Right. And, you know, that type of thing. So This is also very, very Jewish. Uh, very, very Jewish. Yeah. I, well, St- Spielberg being Jewish, I'm yeah. sure that's it, but that's it too. Um, yeah, a bunch of the, I think, yeah, quite a few of the uh, the actors and actresses in here were, but um, but really cool the way it's done. Uh, I really like it. And then I think after that whole thing, after they do all this and play, I think it was time. I'm trying to remember now. Uh, I don't remember. It was, I, I guess, you know, the sun was coming up and, and the, and the point is, uh, Scatman Crothers said, do you, you know, do you want to, do you want to face the day tomorrow as eight? Cause a lot of the, when they were younger, that's like, Oh, I got, our, our kids are not going to recognize us when they come and we got to go through this again and we got to go through that again. And the whole thing was just to get them, even though you're old, to get them into a young mindset. Yeah. So they all wake up the next morning, but oh, and while this is happening, the crotchety old man sees what happens. Hey, be quiet! He's like, "Oh man, I, I, I want that to happen to I me." I missed out. I missed, I missed out. out. Yeah. So the next morning, they all wake up. They're all old except for the swash, the swash, swash yes, buckling guy, swashbuckler. Yes, <laughs> and he's like, "Nope, I'm staying young." And he and he jumps out the window and he's gone. Dashes off into the. And the nurses are like, "How'd that young man get in here?" Yeah, yeah, really interesting the way it's done. And then at that point, that's almost the wrap on the episode. But then, uh, well, so the next day they can't find the old man. You yeah. know the old the. Uh, the one who uh, the, swa- the swashbuckler, the swashbuckler. <laughs> and then the crotchety old man. You see him out kicking the can. So yeah, as his as his regular age, you know. As yes, a, as, uh, um, as a as a senior. Yeah, it was really nice. It was just a feel good. It was a feel good episode. There was no monsters. There was no you know comeuppance. No no evil in yeah. there. Yeah, and I think we associate that with the Twilight Zone as. As something evil, something dark. Always something nefarious. You know, nefarious corner, going on, yeah. Know. It was just this old man trying to, you know, instill life in other old people. Yeah. Really, yeah. And then he leaves. He leaves that. Because he's, and, and you see him go to another retirement home. Let's ask Mr. Conroy. He could bring his grandchild. Children, Mr. Aging. Has anyone seen Mr. Aging? Hannah? Why are you sitting around hoping, sitting around hoping? Just listen to me. I'm sure that you will agree. Mr. Blue? In person. Oh, how wonderful. 
We were expecting you. Uh, excuse me, uh, ladies and gentlemen, our new guest has arrived. You know, he's in that song, just sitting around moping, yeah. sitting around. Yeah. And he's he's got a cane and he's playing a white pit. You know, he's paying the picket fence as he yeah, walks by. He's like, really by. nice. Yeah. Yeah, like a little kid, you know, just yeah. having having a good time. Yeah, that was a really that was a really good one. I really liked it. I thought it was really well done. So, and uh, the original episode was called "Kick the Can" too, and it's worth watching. So it, it's good to be able to go back and do, you know, take a look at both of them and see what's different and uh, what's the same. Because mm. I mean, that one stays a lot more true to the original, whereas the other two. Well, the other three have a lot of differences in mm. them here and there. I mean, the fourth one we'll talk about. Yeah. Not that much of a difference, yeah. but... Uh, so now we go to our next one. So It's a Good Life is uh, mm. the the original. is called It's a Good Life. And I think they didn't give this one a new name. Mm. They just kind of kept it the mm. same. This one haunted me. <laughs> my, I, mean, I wouldn't say it haunted me, but this one mm. always stuck in my head. Because mm. if you watch the old one versus the new one, the new one is just like... It's like Roger Rabbit on evil acid yeah. because it's just, I mean, it, it's very similar. I think in the, the way it's done, it's very similar to Roger Rabbit, the mm. way the effects are done. Some right. of them, most of Roger Rabbit's, eh, not all, but some of the effects were primarily all animation. But to me, the style of everything mm. is, you know, like real kind of over the top, like the, the creatures and things right. over the top and loud mm. and... Lots of special effects very similar reminded me of Roger Rabbit. But anyway. So this is Joe Dante, Silence of the Lambs mm -hmm. uh, director. And it starts with this woman. She's at a diner. She's going to a new job. She meets this kid. I'm always... I'm not a big fan of child actors. Huh. When I see a child <laughs> actor, it's just like... So this, this kid is all-powerful. Yeah. He's omnipotent. He can do whatever he, whatever he thinks happens. So, because when she walks into the diner, everybody's being nice to this kid. So, everybody knows this in this little town. She drives him back to his house. She actually runs him over. Oh, that's right. She hits him. She, she backs hits, into him. She backs into him and, and hits oh his bike. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. After he was just bullied in the uh, in the diner. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, she throws the bike and everything. I'll give you a few dollars to fix the bike. He's mm. like, okay. <laughs> And then we get back to his house. So this is... The family is just fawning over him. And she can't understand why. Oh my first. god, Anthony's home. Hey, <laughs> Anthony. So this was a Warner Brothers film. We get a lot of Warner Brothers sound effects in this episode. In this segment. It's weird. It's like he's omnipotent. I guess he has to be there because like the family is plotting against him. Yeah. He doesn't realize it until he's there yeah. and... Like the first view you get of the family is they're all exhausted. Yeah, they're like they're disheveled, they're exhausted, they're just laying around on the furniture, if I remember correctly. And in walks Anthony, and all of a sudden yeah. they all jump up, you know, and they're just way over the top. Mm -hmm. Anthony's home. Oh my gosh, how are you? Who is this? You know, they're very, very over the top with everything, and it's kind of weird at first. He kind of makes you wonder because we have no idea what Anthony's doing right. at this point. And one of the people we were talking about this earlier, one of the people is. Billy Moomy, mm -hmm. lost in space, and was on quite a few of the the original Twilight Zones himself. And he was the original Anthony. Yes. And he uh, now his his acting in the original episode I thought was really good. But but you know for your hate of child actors, I thought if you go back and watch that, he actually did a pretty good job in that one. But uh, but anyway, so yeah, so all these people are sitting there and. Uh, 
If I remember, he takes her for a tour of the house. Yes. And in one room, it's like, this is my sister. And she said something bad about me. And then you you see her her mouth has just been... Yeah. It's gone. And to yeah. me, that's the, that was just so disturbing. Yeah. She's just staring at the TV, yeah. watching cartoons with her mouth completely gone. Not even sewn shut. No, like, gone. Literally, like, gone. Yeah. And uh, Sarah had a... He explains Sarah had a bad accident. Yeah. And that's all that really comes mm-hmm. of that. I think while they're upstairs doing the tour of the house, the family's going through her purse. Yes. <laughs> and, like, and it's funny. They like they pull the cigarettes out. And, you know, one mm-hmm. the, the other sister has the cigarettes. But then the uncle has the lighter. <laughs> and they're just jerks to each other. It's like, give me a cigarette and I'll let you borrow the lighter. Well, I need the lighter first. No, you can't have it. It's... <laughs> If they're going through her licenses mm-hmm. and looking like her license, looking at all the things in her purse, and they start coming back down the stairs and they try to hide everything, mm-hmm. you know, put everything away and try to be like they're just waiting around. Well, so what happens is basically like they have dinner and it's this candy and all that. And it's like, well, he can't, you can't eat this all. She's the first person ever to say no to him. So that makes him mad at his family. It's like, why didn't you tell me this was bad for me? It's yeah. just like, oh, God. Yeah. This is basically an abusive relationship when you come right down to it. Right. It's, I don't know who's abusing whom. Yeah. That's, that's the problem. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Yeah, and then I, then I remember after the dinner and everything, and, the, you know, uh, Ethel, who is the, the one lady that's the aunt, I think, is Ethel. She complains. You know, she's kind of throwing it out there about, you know, this is not helping all that. And Anthony starts getting mad. You can mm. kind of see it's by the way he uses his eyes and his, he has kind of a stern face. Mm. So he kind of stares at people, gives them like the death stare type of thing. And uh, that call, that's the problem. So Helen, mm. the, the lady that gave him the ride home, his new friend, she tries to leave. Uh, but, but Anthony begs her to stay. He says, oh, please stay. Mm. Please stay. Because you have to see Uncle Walt's hat trick. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, nothing up the sleeve, and, uh, and, oh, I beg your pardon. (laughs) Excuse me. Yes, um. Go ahead, Uncle Walt. Oh, oh, yes, yes, but the, uh, the hat, where, 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 where's the hat? Oh! (laughs) Yes, sir. Nothing, as you can see, in the hat, right? Nothing in the hat. So, uh... You'll like this. Do it, Uncle Walt! Yes, sir. Mm. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Uncle Walt! Yes! Go away! That's where the 
This is where the weirdness starts to ensue. It's just this horrific rabbit that comes out of the hat. It's just yeah. The first yeah, he pulls out the yeah the rabbit and uh, pulls out a regular rabbit and he's like, "We want an encore." And he pulls out the other rabbit and this other rabbit is something out of like I mean, it's it's really bizarre. I mean, it's actually I wouldn't say it's scary, but it's macabre the way it's all set mm-hmm. up. And this giant uh, rabbit comes out and. Uh, the, the, oh yeah, then uh, Helen Helen's trying to flee. She's afraid of this thing, and mm. she drops everything um, out of her purse. Mm. And uh, Anthony finds the note in there that they wrote saying, "Help us, Anthony's a monster." So then <laughs> that just pisses him off completely. So now he's on to the family, you know, being on to him, mm. trying to trying to hint to, to Helen. So I guess he must not be all all powerful, or else he would have known that would happen. So yeah. He gets mad and figures out that Ethel must be the uh, the one that's doing all this mm. because she was the one that was kind of uh, complaining about things and that he was having another birthday and and uh, he gets Anthony gets mad and so he wishes her away, um, which is interesting. So in the original one, uh, that's what Billy Mooney does is he just wishes people away into the cornfield mm. and uh, he. Now that's where everybody in the city, the city in Ohio, everybody that that stands up that doesn't that doesn't smile all the mm-hmm. time, that doesn't do whatever Anthony wants, gets banished to the cornfield mm-hmm. at some point. I mean, different things happen to them, but then eventually they end up in this cornfield. What the cornfield is, they never really mm-hmm. say, but I'm assuming it's some sort of purgatory. Right. Well, in this one, she gets put in a cartoon. Yeah, so yeah. that's kind of the cornfield. Yeah, right. yeah, she gets thrown in there, and it's really kind of bizarre too. It's yeah. a weird. <laughs> it's like a, like she's normal, but the cartoon is all animated. Right. Yeah. And then uh, some big monster comes and <laughs> eats her. Eats right? her. Yeah. 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 Just plain out eats her. The end. Uh, so it ends with she takes him, you know, wherever she's going, and she's going to teach him. Yeah. But you can see a little look on her face. It's like, I now, but I am controlling this ultimate power. Yes. Yeah. That's what I thought, too. I yeah. was like, oh, she's probably like, ah, I wonder if I can get out of this deal. Exactly. Yeah, it was an interesting one, and that's kind of the end. And at the end, they're driving away. Yeah, they're just driving away. Flowers are plop, popping up in the grass, and it's all beautiful <laughs> and happy. So, very interesting one. Different, I mean, it's similar, but different than the original one. So, pretty good. So, on that one, we had... Nancy Cartwright, voice of Bart Simpson. Uh-huh. I, I liked it. There was a lot of older character actors in this movie. Yeah, there was no there was there was no marquee, and I, I guess being an anthology, you you, you couldn't have that because you don't see anthology movies much anymore. No. And I'm wondering why because our attention spans are such are so much shorter now. Right. I right. think an anthology movie might do well. Yeah. Uh, just keep thus keeping people's interest. Yeah, to switch it around. Right. right. Because everything is TikTok, and you know they're all right. short videos, and and now we go to the final one. Oh, uh, yes, Ter- Nightmare at twenty thousand feet. Yeah, and it's directed by George Miller. Now I'll admit I don't. He's the one out of the. He's the one out of the four directors I'm not that familiar with. Yeah, I, I know the other three. I'm not. I was. I'm not particularly familiar with his work. Well, he did a bunch of Mad Max stuff, so okay. it can't be too bad. So I suppose. Um, but yeah, he's got that, uh, which is of Eastwick. Um, okay. Well, then I guess <laughs> Happy Feet, and then he's got those wonderful that wonderful combo movie, Babe, and then 
Babe, Pig, and the City, which are definitely two of my favorites. <laughs> and this is the famous William Shatner yeah. episode yeah. with John Lithgow in the role of, of William Shatner. It takes place on a plane, so it, you get a really nice claustrophobic... For those of you who don't know, John Lithgow just keeps seeing this creature and William Shatner in the original. The honest, the weird thing about the original is he, the plane has curtains. Like nowadays you have the, yeah, the, the visors. The visors like, he has curtains. And smoking on the plane. Yes, yeah, smoking you know, on the plane. Yeah. There is a gun. Like they have an air marshal. He has a gun on the plane. Yeah. So it's just just how people flew in the 80s. It's it just just looking at that. It's just hilarious. During takeoff, he's got his seatbelt off. He's you know people are just roaming around the plane. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting like you look at the two different characters. Like I think you know the original one with Shatner, and it's good. I mean Shatner does a good job, but you know he's very clean cut. His you know his hair is perfectly yes. you know, perfectly combed over. He's got this you know his face, he's freshly shaved. I mean. I think he might have been in a suit, you know, because everybody... He was in a suit, yeah. yeah. He flew in a suit. It's like, I'm going to wear my Sunday best to go (laughs) on a plane, you know. But in the new one, you know, Lithgow, I mean, his character is completely... Disheveled. Oh, man. His hair is messed up. Yeah. Sweating. I mean, he's just sweating. Well, so he's afraid of flying. Yeah. And he's this genius. Uh, Computer, microchips, whatever. He's this genius. But he has to fly... I don't think Shatner was afraid of flying in the first one. Hmm. I'm not no, sure. I think you're right because he's kind of sitting there. Yeah, he, and... he's uh, what unhinges him is is seeing the creature. Yeah. If if I'm wrong, feel free to yell at me. But here we just start off that Lithgow is just terrified he's of losing flying. His shit. Yeah, he's, he's losing his uh, shit. Which I like, which sets up, because so when he starts seeing the creature, nobody believes him because, oh, he's off his rocker. Yeah, yeah. you can already tell, kind of. And, and, you know, it doesn't help that he's afraid of flying, and there's this massive thunderstorm. Oh, yeah, yes, a massive, massive storm. So in the original, it's just a dude in a suit, in a rubber suit. Here, it's animation. This yeah. Whatever this thing is on the wing of the plane, I, I like the way it looked. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely... Uh, it's just sitting out on the plane, and every time, it's like, I think in both situations, they both look outside because of the storm, but I think Shatner's more observing, and Lithgow's obsessing, I'd say. Right. And they see off in the distance, out on the edge of the wing, over the engine, some shadowy figure. And then you get a lightning bolt, yeah, and, and it illuminates it just for a moment, and yeah. there's a, there's something on the wing of the plane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Somebody out there. You've got to believe me. I saw him green and slimy. Leave the poor man alone. If you're only trying to help, you've got to humor them. It was lightning. 
At first, I thought it was an animal, some kind of bird or something, but it was a man. There was, was flames coming out of the engine, and then a, a flash, and, and then smoke. Maybe it was a technician who was caught in the plane when it, when it take, took off. Oh my God, how did he survive out there? The air's too thin, the, the, the blast of the wind. It's, it's so cold. It's impossible, isn't it? And they, you know, they're, they, that's when they, they look back and they rub their eyes type of thing and look back again and they see this thing out there. And in both, both situations, the creature starts tearing apart at the plane. Right. Um, and in this one, in this, this more modern one, it's really interesting how it goes. I mean, I, the first I remember going back and rewatching, I was like, this thing reminds me of like the Predator. You know, exactly. Yeah. You know what? You, that is that's what it reminded yeah. me of. Now that you say it, that that's exactly what it reminds he's, me. Because he's of. not like you know uh, this blob. It's like this muscular creature that's sitting on the uh, over the top of this jet engine. A gremlin? Just, I, is it a gremlin? Yeah, I, it definitely. <laughs> it's a gremlin on roids, if it is. Yes. But he reaches in and he's just ripping and ripping at it. And so you know, Lithgow sees this and he's you know. Jumps up and starts screaming to everybody, <laughs> ah, something out of the way, you know. Now, one of the flight attendants is Donna Dixon, Dan Aykroyd's wife. Right. But I think they they met on Dr. Detroit. Yes. Yeah. Which was the year before or that same year? Uh, let's see, 83. So that was actually earlier when they met So for Dr. Detroit. And then they were on, they worked together on this one. Right. Um. But they didn't share any scenes. No, they didn't share any screen time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm like, uh, well, you know, I'll do this movie if you get my girlfriend on the movie. Right, exactly. You think that's how it works? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. And and she's a good actress. I I, I had no problem with her. It's not one of these handing it to a person who can't act. Exactly. It's like, like, you know, putting Linda McCartney in your band when she's a horrible (laughs) singer. So, anyway. Where they isolated her voice. (laughs) Oh, that's just... Drew and Mike used to play that all the time back in the day, and I would listen. <laughs> Drew to and that Mike and was, is a uh, a DJ combo a morning team here in Detroit. Yeah, they would play that, and it was just like if you weren't out of bed when they started playing that, you got out to get up and go turn <laughs> the alarm, fire the radio off because it was horrible. So, yeah, she so she tries to get him to calm down, right? I think she, doesn't she give him some? Does she give him some pills or something, something like that? And yeah. and on top of everything else. There's just this annoying little girl oh, yeah. with a ventriloquist dummy. And the Polaroid camera, right? And he try and he takes the can. He tries to get a picture of the thing. Yeah. Like, well, like nowadays, you, you get your phone out there. So, exactly. So there, there is a, a sky marshal on there, and he notices that he has a ankle, yeah, a gun in his ankle holster. Yeah. So eventually, the gremlin ripping apart the plane begins to affect the plane. You know, we're losing altitude. Blah 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 blah. He grabs. The gun. He's got a gun. He shoots out the window, so he gets sucked out the window. They're holding by his feet. Not have been like, yes, you know yeah. what? Their fan asked, get a picture of this before I let his feet yeah. go. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess they're close enough to the ground that he didn't freeze to death or whatever. Yeah, they start descending. That's yes. what they're supposed to be descending at that point. Yeah. And he starts shooting, and I don't know. <laughs> he starts shooting the thing on the wing. I don't know how hard that that almost impossible to do. Exactly. But the thing walks up to him, which is hilarious. Which it grabs his face, 
lets him go and does the uh 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 with his his finger finger. (laughs) takes off jumps up in the air and it's gone yes just releases itself off the wing and it's gone and so nobody nobody else ever sees this no he's the only one that sees it and uh really interesting and so they kind of cut to the scene where they've landed at that point but i think He's in a gurney, he's, right? He's strapped. He's strapped in a gurney. Yeah. He kept seeing things. I don't know what yes, he's doing. Yes, I didn't think. He kept saying all the background. And he, he's chatter, like, yeah. one day they'll believe me. <laughs> yeah. You hear, hey Bob, come here. And they walk around and they see the wing has just been torn up. Yeah, right all around the engine. I mean, right. it's not like it just fell off. It's not. Yeah, like not like it's been like sheared off. Marks. It's like yeah. something shredded it away and. Uh, that's kind of the point. I think that's where the episode kind of ends. Yes, like, and, know, but then they put him into the ambulance. Yeah, oh yeah, so that, and uh, all of a sudden you hear, "Let's get, let's get enough." He turns off the siren, yeah. and he puts on credence. Yeah, <sighs> which is what starts. Which is what starts of the movie, the movie. Yeah. and then you, you realize that uh, Dan is driving the. Bet you that was pretty scary up there. Oh, eh? oh you you have no idea. You, you want to see something really scary? Yeah, he leans back, and that's when the yeah you want to see something really scary, and that's when it ends. That's when it ends, and we get Rod Serling. Yeah, doing the doing the original Twilight Zone because Burgess Meredith is narrating it all through the movie from segment to segment, but on the final one we get Rod Serling, you know, sending us off. Yeah, and that's the end of it. And that's the end. I thought, I mean, you know, for it is for what it is. I mean, it wasn't so bad. I mean, I think the segments all they all do a pretty good job of. Like, if you go back and watch the originals, you know, it's kind of fun to see them redone. I'm surprised there wasn't anything that was actually originally new, but I guess maybe it's better that way. They maybe. just wanted to retell the the original stories. The third one, though, that's the one I like the least out of all of them. Yeah. Like I said, the Steven Spielberg. It's just a feel-good one, yeah. and the first one is tainted by what happened. So yeah. I guess my my through process of elimination, the uh, terror at twenty thousand feet uh, would would be my favorite out yeah. of them. Yeah, I thought that one was a good one. I I like the kick the kick the can one too. Yeah. I think it just it's a, got a very nice message to it. But I think with regard to content, I definitely think Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet was really well done. Yeah. So and I like the beginning and the end. Um, like I like yes. that that you know they want to see something really scary part, and I like the way that it tied it together. You know, kind of started off that way and closed it, which mm-hmm. was really good. So yeah, it was it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. Yeah. It was yeah. I think it captured Twilight Zone very nice. Everybody, yeah. like I said, a lot of older character actors in this, uh, which I enjoyed. You know, directing was solid. Yeah, yeah it's just a solid. It's a nice a solid. You know. Uh, we're recording this now a couple of days for ho- before Halloween. Mm. I, this could be a definitely a Halloween movie. Absolutely. You want to so, see something really scary. Yeah, you want to see something really scary. So, yeah. I don't know. Where did you watch this at? I have it on DVD. I wa- originally saw it, like I said, in Brighton, Michigan at the uh, movie theater there before, you know, but way back when it first came out. I remember going and, and, uh, and then I ended up watching it again. Um, I found it on, I can't remember where I found it on, but I found it. I was looking around for it. And uh, rewatched it with my kids, which they they found it pretty interesting. Okay, so, so it held up to the younger generation. Yeah, yeah. Did you watch were... it with your wife? Did she? No, 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 no not yet. So she, you know, she, mm. she'd be like, "Yeah, but but what does it have to do with anything?" So she's not a big, 
She's not big into that type of stuff, so she might find them interesting because she likes to read a lot and she reads suspenseful things. So mm. maybe for Halloween we'll sit down and watch it. Okay, yeah. so it's a nice movie. Like I said, the first one you might get tri- you might get triggered because of the language in it, yeah. but I just feel that's it, that's just part of the story. It has to be told that way. Yeah, you got to feel good in there. It's you got yeah, got a little bit. You got. Uh, you know, you got a little bit of everything in there. A little bit of everything. Yeah. You Something got like the last everyone. one. The last one is just pure scary storytelling. Yeah. The first one has some, you know, it has a social angle to it. Second one is just a feel good story. The third one is just really weird. So yeah. So uh, Scott, uh, tell us about your online business. Oh yeah. So uh, so if you're uh, looking for any Legos, I've got a uh, Lego store you can find at sabobrick.com. S a b o b r i c com. I think Scott will put a link in there. Yep. So I've got, uh, I sell Lego minifigures, pieces, whatever it is you could be looking for. If you've got a family or friend, a uh, member that's, uh, you know, a Lego enthusiast, send them on over. And uh, if you mention the podcast, I'll give you a discount too. So, um, but is yeah. Is there any Twilight Zone Legos? Uh, there are no Twilight Zone Legos. <laughs> the closest you could get to Twilight Zone Legos would be some uh, Doctor Who Legos. Okay. That's about as close <laughs> as it gets. So... Uh, but you know there are some some ones that are out there that actually like they have these monster hunters ones which uh, our friend Dr. Jones yes is uh, his he's quite a fan of those so um, but those are out there so yeah Lego has a little bit of everything for everybody anymore so yeah check it out sabobrick.com all right that's it all I right. want to thank everybody for listening and um, next uh, we'll see you next year next year <laughs> we'll see you next year actually will this this might come out this year. It might come out next year. <laughs> so, um, well, just whenever you're back, we'll, we'll see you here on the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. <laughs> to support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. <laughs> That's enough of that noise, huh? Who needs it anyway? How about a little music? Sure. Let the midnight special. Hey, let's shine a light on me. I love Credence. So you got a big scare up there, huh? Oh, yeah. Want to see something really scary? There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone.
This has been a Cross the Streams Media Podcast. Something called alcohol.